Today's passage is in Romans 15, verses 1 through 7, and that's on page 949 on the Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and your reply, thanks be to God. And we say this because we believe these scriptures are God-breathed, and we're thankful for the gift of scripture. So Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong and have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, as it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for bringing us together today to praise your name and ask that you continue to build up relationships between your children and restore those that are broken so that we can come together in harmony to lift you up. In everything we do, we do it for your glory. Help us to fix our eyes and ears and prepare our hearts for the sermon and speak through Pastor Kyle as he preaches. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Shelby. Please be seated, everybody. Good morning, family. How are we doing today? So-so? The nine was a little sleepy this morning, so we, we, we need to put them to shame, open shame right now. And one of the ways that I encourage you to do this is Uh, you know, when we read through the Bible, this is us participating together, interacting with the words of God. And so if you see something in there, feel free to say, amen. Uh, That just means, yes, I agree. Feel free to say, "Mm," you know, like just feel, let's mutually encourage one another as we go through these scriptures. If you're a guest, With us, welcome to Living Stones. Uh, We are honored that you're here, that you would take a part of your day to come and worship with us. Um, If you're somebody who's like, I'm not sure what I believe, I don't believe this stuff, I'm I'm interested in the Bible, I'm interested in God, you're welcome here. And one of the things that we like to do at this church is walk through books of the Bible and just go through them verse by verse. And that's what we're doing right now in the book of Romans, which was written by a guy named Paul to the church that was in Rome. And so we're in Romans 15 today, which is on page 949. So grab your Bible and open up to that. Um, Happy Pentecost, by the way. Pentecost is the day in which we remember that God gave us his presence through the Holy Spirit, who is God. And that when you believe in Jesus... God's presence takes residence in your heart and he's with you as your helper. So Romans uh, has already said, you know, the Holy Spirit is like the ninja of the Trinity. You know, we just read all those things that the Holy Spirit does earlier in the service and he's doing a lot in the Bible, right? Yet he's kind of like the silent ninja. And so today we give him credit for his work. And uh, that's what Pentecost is about. And it, you know, it, it says in Romans that we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Um, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children with God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so I just want to encourage you today, family, that you are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God loves you. He cares for you. He really does care for you. 
Like he's not just like, yeah, he cares for Christians in general. He cares for you. And at Pentecost, we remember that the spirit is the one who helps us remember that. And one of the things that we're called to do as Christians is we're called to share this fatherly love with each other and not to be divided against each other. I wanna call your attention to verse seven of chapter 15, which if you're new to the Bible, the verses are the little numbers and the chapters are the big numbers. And in verse seven, the apostle Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In other words, he's saying that your love for one another is gonna be the thing that shows the glory of God. And as Christians, that is what our life is about, living for the glory of God. When you sign the dotted line to become a Christian, you are no longer living for your glory. And that's good news. Because all over the Bible, Psalms and James, it says that we are, we're no more than the grass that withers. The grass on the hills that grows, it's there in the spring and it's burned up by the summer. That's your life. That's my life. Our life is no more than the vapor of your breath on a cold morning. Here in a moment, gone in a moment. And welcome to church, by the way. Got real quiet there. (laughs) That's your life. But there's actually great news in that because it means we get to stop taking ourselves so seriously. And it means that we don't have to worry about like, oh my gosh, I gotta make my life awesome. No, you get to show how awesome and beautiful God is. That's what it means to give glory to God. It means to magnify his beauty. And the question is, is how do we do this as the church? For, for, for millennia, for two millennia, the church has been battling, what does it mean to give glory to God? Um, for a long time, people thought we gotta build these huge structures and these big church buildings, which you can go all over Europe and see. Some of them took hundreds of, over a hundred years to build and, and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And they're magnificent, beautiful works of art. Some people believed in, in time that you had to have revivalistic meetings where you would have a week where you'd put a tent out and just gather crowds and that would give glory to God. Lately, it seems like people are saying we gotta sell out big stadiums and have Christian concerts and that will give glory to God. But the thing is, is you can have every one of those things and still miss some, you could still miss love. And Jesus said himself in John 13, the world will know you're my disciples by your big buildings. No, he didn't say that, did he? (laughs) The world will know that you're my disciples by your big concerts, by your great preaching. No, he said, the world will know that you're my disciples by your love. What glorifies God is our accommodation of one another in spite of our differences. It's, it, what glorifies God is love. And in verse five, everybody look at verse five, Paul says a prayer. It's kind of funny because Paul is in this dialogue with them. He's speaking to them and preaching at them. And then he just breaks out in a prayer in verse five. And then he'll pick up his dialogue again after. But in verse five, he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's prayer for them is this, harmony. What gives God glory? Harmony. Our harmony gives God glory. Our harmony gives God glory. So that's what we're gonna really break down today. What is harmony? What will it require and how can we get it? First of all, what is harmony? Harmony, speaking musically, 
I hope I get this right, musicians. Don't crucify me for this, all right? Harmony is when multiple singers sing different notes in unison together within the same key to make a pleasant sound. So it's not them singing the same note, and it's not just one voice. It's multiple people combining their voices so that it sounds beautiful. I know nothing about music, but when I hear a good harmony, I'm like, oh, that's nice. And you, the opposite is also true, right? You might not be able to define what's going on, but when they're doing a bad harmony, you're like, yeah, something's wrong there. Well, that's what harmony is. Harmony in relationships is different people coming together to work together and love each other in spite of their differences so that it produces a beautiful, uh, a be- a beautiful feel, something that's pleasant. That's what harmony is in relationships. And that's what Paul is calling us to. And the reason why he's writing this and he's praying for the church in Rome to have harmony is because currently they have division. And think about this. If harmony is the thing that gives God glory, then the division is the thing that drags his name through the mud. And look, you, you don't have to be, I mean, there's so many of you are probably here as, as people who aren't Christians. And your problem with the church is you look in and you see a bunch of divided people. And you don't see harmony. And that's one of the reasons why you're so resistant to God and the Bible. And I just want you to know that you, that's not right. God calls us to be in harmony, not to have division. He calls us to be in harmony. Now, here's what the division in Rome was about. It wasn't about essential things. They both believed that Jesus was the way to God. They both believed that Jesus died for their salvation. They both believed that he was the only way to know God. But they had dividing issues on non-essentials. So one group of people thought that in order to live a holy life, you had to eat certain foods. Probably the foods they were referring to were the foods of the Old Testament Levitical law. You had to follow, and, and then you also had to acknowledge those holy days. And in Rome, that was really difficult because all the food that was there, all the meat that was there, uh, there wasn't kosher meat. Most of the meat there was pork. And then the other thing is all the meat was probably offered to an idol already. So none of the people had a Jewish background uh, who, who kind of felt like in this category that you had to follow the Old Testament dietary laws. They, did, they felt like you couldn't eat the meat, so you had to only eat vegetables. And they got highly offended at Christians who ate meat. And they got highly offended at, at Christians who didn't acknowledge the same holy days that they did. So that's one group of people. And Paul calls them the weak Christians because they have a tightly bound conscience. They don't know how much freedom they have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now on the other side were more free Christians. These were Christians who understood that the whole Old Testament dietary laws and all that stuff had been fulfilled in Jesus. So that in Jesus dying on the cross, his blood cleanses us and that's what we really need is cleansing from him. Therefore, now in the New Testament, you can eat any type of food. And any day you can celebrate as a holy day and you're free to do anything as long as you give thanks to God while you're doing that. And so Paul calls these people the strong Christians. And so they were having a battle over what it meant to live holy lives. So the weak Christians were looking at the ones who had the freedoms and they were like, you guys are unholy. And then the strong Christians were looking at the weak ones saying, you should know this by now. You guys are being stupid. And there was these, there's this conflict 
and division that was happening. So Paul doesn't get mad at them for having different opinions. He gets mad at them for how they're treating each other. They're using these things as an excuse to separate from one another and to judge each other instead of accommodating each other in spite of the difference of opinion. You guys tracking? Amen? Amen. Now, you might say, how does this apply to us? We're not splitting over what kind of food you're eating for dinner tonight. No, but churches split over much less, don't we? I know churches that have split over whether or not you can dance at a wedding. (laughs) Churches split over or not whether you should homeschool your kids. Churches split over whether or not, you know, you should listen to certain types of music or vote according to a political party, whether it's the conservative party or the liberal party. Churches split over all sorts of non-essential things. And Paul, what he, notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't give them the solution like we would do. Typically, when we have conflict, we do one of two things. We say, well, if you guys are fighting so much, why don't you get everybody who thinks alike, and then you guys go over here, and then you who think alike, you guys go over there. That way, we can all just get along. We can mutually exist, but we don't have to be in relationship together. Paul doesn't do that, does he? Paul also doesn't say, you know what? You weak Christians are being stupid. You need to figure it out. You're wrong. These guys are right, and you all need to think the same. He doesn't call them to all think the same. He doesn't call them to group think. What does he call them to? Harmony in spite of their differences. He calls them to maintain their differences of opinions, but to love each other regardless of their differences. That's what harmony is. And it's a lot harder to do. It's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? So harmony, he calls them to harmony. Now, when this happens, when harmony in the church happens, as it says in verse seven and in verse six, it gives glory to God. Because it, another word for glory is it shows God's beauty. And that's what harmony is. It's something that is beautiful. Like think about all the things in life that we can witness a bit of harmony. If you can have the privilege to hear some, some singers singing together in harmony, even if you don't like the song, you're like, that's beautiful. Um, in sports, I remember watching NCAA basketball and Dick Vitale was the announcer and a great play, a team would just be doing really well and they would be working in unison together and he would say, poetry in motion. And I always thought that was weird. Why is he equating basketball with poetry? Because what he's saying is when these different players are working together in unison, it's beautiful like poetry. Or another sport. I know it's your favorite one in the Olympics, synchronized swimming. <laughs> We're all amazed that they can do that and not drown and still be on the same. It's, it's beautiful. Or when you go to a play, unless you're there to watch your kid, you're not there to watch just one person. You're there to take the whole thing in. And you see all the different parts coming together. And when that all works together, it's pleasant and beautiful. In the same way, when we can have a church that has different political opinions, and different opinions on matters of, of schooling and, and has different races and different ages and different socioeconomic groups and people listen to all different types of music and dress different ways and yet we can come together in unison to glorify Christ together, it's beautiful and gives glory to God, amen? And that's what we're called to. It's what we're made for. Doctrinally, this, we're made for this because we're made in God's image. And God in his own being, is a trinity. 
And so if you're new to the Bible, what you need to know about the Christian God is that he's one God, but mysterious. I know it sounds crazy. He mysteriously exists in three persons. Christians, who are they? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each person has always been God. Each person will always be God. And each person eternally exists together in perfect love and harmony. And what that means for us is this. When God created the world, he didn't create the world because he needed us but he created the world to be an outflow of the harmony that he already had within himself. So he created us as humans in his image so that we would live like this together. Now, we obviously don't because we, we rejected God's ways, thinking that if we live to please ourselves, we'll be happier, but it's not true, is it? And so Paul is actually calling us to live more truly human, to more fully reflect his glory because this is what we were made for. We were made to live in harmony. So what is it going to take? In one word, Paul gives us three reasons, but in one word, you could sum all three. Selflessness. It's going to take selflessness. So the first way of being selfless is this. In verse one, it says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So the first act of selflessness for God's church is to bear the weak. A way that you could translate what he just said is you who are right have an obligation to bear the failings of those who are wrong. Now this is really upside down, isn't it? Like typically if you talk to a group of of Christians and you say, what's wrong with your church? What needs to be fixed in your church? They'll start telling you all the good things they're doing and all the bad things the weak Christians are doing. And they'll start telling you all the things that the weak Christians are doing that they need to get their act together on and that'll fix their church. But Paul doesn't focus on the weak Christians. Who does he focus on? The strong ones. He says, no, 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 no. That focusing on the weak is how the world works. The way that God works is the strong have an obligation to bear the weak. So what this means, if you consider yourself as one who is strong in the faith, it is your job to take initiative to bear with the failings of your brothers and sisters in the room. You see, this is calling us to not have a corporation type thinking. It's calling us to have a family type thinking. In a corporation, if you can't cut it, you're gone. But in a family, if you have children, you don't leave them in the dust, you carry them along. If you have sick, you don't leave them in the dust, you carry them along. You bear with the failings of the weak and that's what this calls us to. And it uses the word bear. Not like the animal, you know. Bear, like bear a burden, What this means, it it doesn't mean like gently guide along. It means to pick up and put on your back. And it it, it means it's really hard and sometimes it's gonna suck. (laughs) So here's what this means for us, church. If we're really committed to have the heart of Christ, to to want harmony and to, to seek after it, sometimes it's gonna be really hard. Because those of you who are right on certain issues, you're gonna have to pick up those who are wrong. And those of you who wanna be divided against each other, you're you're gonna have to bear the weak. It's gonna be difficult. And it's gonna require selflessness, selflessness. The second act of selflessness is this, is he says, um, don't live to please yourselves. Let us each please his neighbor for his good to build him up. 
In other words, he's saying, if you want harmony, your mindset has to be that you approach church and Bible studies and church gatherings, not for yourself, but to build up others. Your focus when you come to church on Sunday is not what can I get, it's how can I serve others. And if we're all seeking to serve and build up others, guess what happens for you? Your needs get met too. But the lie that we believe is that we won't be happy if we pour ourselves out to serve. So we think we need to serve ourselves. But Paul says, don't live to please yourself. Instead, live to please your neighbor. Live to build, your, build up your neighbor. Let me ask you, church. What if you actually came to church thinking like this? I'm not here only to build up me and receive from God. I'm also here to build up my neighbor. I bet you that would start to change the climate of our church, wouldn't it? Like, also, I'm here to build up those who are vastly different than me. That would start to change the climate of our church. Because even now, as humans, birds of a feather flock together. So even though we have a lot of different types of people in this room, when we gather on Sundays, we tend to gravitate towards the people that we're like and we feel comfortable with. But if we came with the intention that I'm not here just to please myself, I'm here to build up my neighbors, we would have this community that the world would be like, I don't know what's going on in there, but it's beautiful. That's what it's calling us to. Um, now, this word please means to accommodate, to make room for. So, if we're gonna be here to build up our neighbors, it means that in our hearts and our minds that we need to be always seeking to accommodate those who are different than us, those who have different opinions than us, and those who disgust us. And I'm just gonna be really honest. What do we tend to do with difficult people? Gossip. We avoid them. We push them away. We're like, oh, I really don't wanna go talk to them. There they are. Let's go this way. You like see him walk in. You're like, I got to go get a cup of coffee. But if we're going to be a church that lives in harmony, strong, you need to bear the, the weak. We need to be not here to please ourselves. We need to be seeking to please one another. And he gives us the reason why. He says, for Christ did not please himself. You call yourself a disciple of Christ, but Christ didn't please himself. Rather, it says about him in Psalm 69, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. That Psalm is about this, that, that Jesus took on the insults of humans so that we could belong to God. And if Jesus took on insults, you can bear with the failings of your brothers and sisters. So it's, but it's gonna require selflessness. You can't come with a selfish approach. And then the next thing it's gonna require is help from God because we're not strong enough. The selfish person says, I can do this. The humble person says, I need God's help. And Paul has this weird verse in verse four. If you look at it, it's a parenthetical statement to the verse he just explained. And so if, if you really wanna understand that you can even draw in your Bible's parentheses around verse four, because he's explaining why he just quoted Psalm 69. He says, for what, what, what was, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. He's saying, God gave us this because he knows that you can't do it on your own. You need his continual encouragement and exhortation from the scriptures. So God, we need God's word. You can't, we will never be a church 
who pursues harmony if our hearts are devoid of his word. The only way for us to pursue harmony is to get his heart through his word into our hearts. And then Paul breaks into a prayer, which I think is just so funny. He's like talking, he's like, by the way, let me pray for you right now. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by example, Paul is showing us this can't be done without prayer. So in the same way I ask you, is there anybody that you're trying to avoid? I also ask you, when's the last time that you prayed for unity in our church? A lot of times when we're praying, we're praying for ourselves alone. But if we're gonna have a church that is displaying the glory of God, what it's gonna require is us as members to be in constant prayer that God would bless us with both diversity, age diversity, race diversity, uh, you know, just hobby diversity, <laughs> that God would provide us with diversity and unity. And we need to be seeking God to do it because we cannot do it on our own. And he says it's a, it's a work of endurance, like meaning it's gonna be hard and it's gonna take a long time. Like unity in the church doesn't happen like this. It takes a long intentional effort and it takes a lot of God's help, which is why we need to be praying. And as somebody who enjoys sprinting more than running long distances, we need to pray. <laughs> I, this shows me that we need to pray. We all need to pray. It's not a quick fix. It's not like, you know, this isn't, this isn't like fast food style unity and harmony. This is crockpot style unity and harmony. <laughs> it's gonna take a long time and a lot of God's help. So that's my, that's my charge to you as members. Be, please be praying for us so that we can show the glory of God. Be praying that we would be unified together on the essential things and accommodating of one another on the non-essential things. So, selflessness. In one word, that's what it takes. Selflessness. Selfishness is the enemy of harmony. If you think about it in the examples we used previously, if you have four singers up here singing harmony and then one of them tries to stand out instead of the others, it's gonna ruin the harmony. If you have a basketball team going down the court and one of them doesn't trust his players and tries to take it all and tries to be the star, it ruins the harmony. If you're watching synchronized swimming, and you know, one of them tries to stand out amongst all the others and the other is trying to keep up, everybody drowns and that one person ruins the harmony. <laughs> the harmony is ruined whenever we're selfish. But we are really, really selfish. <laughs> so how can we even get to the point of not being selfish? Like how can we even get to the point where we're bearing with one another's weaknesses? Like, well, Paul tells us in verse seven, he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This word welcome doesn't just mean say hello. It means to welcome them into your home, into your heart. And he says, the only way that you will start doing this with one another who are vastly different than you is if you understand how Jesus did this for you when you were vastly different from him. Because Paul knows that if we say, okay, we have a good harmony sermon, we've had three in a row, let's love one another, and we try to do it on our own, we're just too fragile and too selfish, and we're gonna break. And so in almost 
every paragraph, actually in every paragraph through chapter 14 and this part of 15, Paul mentions Jesus at least once in this passage three times. Because he knows that we're not strong enough to put this kind of thinking into our hearts. We need to be changed. Like Martin Luther said, the job of the preacher is to preach the gospel and to beat it into his people's heads continually. <laughs> like we're really, really dense and we just continue to need this reminder. And you might be thinking, I already know the gospel, pastor. Well, Paul says you don't. <laughs> That's why he tells you it three times in this one paragraph. Because you need to know it deeper, you need to know it truer, you need to know it more. Because in our own efforts, it is unnatural for us to love people different than us. In our own efforts, it is unnatural for us to accommodate those that we don't like. So the only way that we can be softened to that kind of love is if we're reminded of this love that we have in Christ. If we try to do it on our own, we'll break. So it's like Paul is trying to form this into the, this, this divided church into a harmonious church. He's trying to shape them but he knows that it, it won't work if he tries to get them to focus on their own efforts. It'll just cause them to break. It's like if you were to take a bunch of spaghetti noodles and say, okay, I need to form you into a different shape. And you were to break those spaghetti noodles, they would just snap, right? If you were to just bend the dry spaghetti noodles, they would just snap. But there is one way that you can bend a bunch of spaghetti noodles. You have to soak them in a substance that's not themselves. You have to soak them in hot water. And that's basically what Paul is doing with us right here in Christ. When your fragile, hard heart is soaked in the warmth and the love of Jesus for you, then you can be shaped into being a harmonious church with each other. You have to be soaked in, you have to be marinating. In the, there is no Christian who should say, I know the gospel enough, I'm on to deeper things. That means you don't know it. That's why Paul tells us that three times right here. So let's just think about this for a moment. Paul says, welcome one another as Christ. How has Christ welcomed you? You know, he was sitting on his throne in glory and he saw you sinning against him. And he didn't say, man, if that guy gets his act together, I'll bring him up here. <laughs> no. While you were still sinners, Christ got off of his throne and came down to us as a baby. Even before we were born and he knew that we would do all these sins, he initiated towards us while we were still a mess. Like, that's a long ways. Heaven to earth, that's a long ways. Like, I get frustrated when I have, like, my wife or a friend say, hey, can you run across town and pick this up? I'm like, that's a long ways. Like a 20-minute drive. It's a lot longer for God. But he got off his, he did it. He did it. He knew that you would never be able to earn your way to him, so he came down to you. He did it. And then how did he come? As a baby. That baffles me. I've told you guys this a lot, but I'm like, if I'm coming and I'm God, I'm coming as like a super specimen superhero. <laughs> Not as a baby. But why does he come as a baby? Here's why. Because his whole life was so that he came in weakness to show that he came to bear the failings of the weak. And that's what his whole ministry was about, isn't it? I mean, think about the people that he chose to be his disciples. Real ragtag group of people. Like, in the day when Jesus was, you know, picking disciples, 
there was, a, there was a track. All the kids, Jewish little boys and girls would go to school and the best of the best would be selected. And then they would be selected by rabbis to be trained and they would become disciples of those rabbis. But Jesus shows up to the guys who were the dropouts. <laughs> to the guys who were like, yeah, that's not for us. We're gonna go be fishermen. We're gonna go be tax collectors. We're gonna be... He showed up to the screw-ups, the dropouts. Why? because he came to bear with the failings of the weak. And that's what his whole ministry was about. I mean, you even think about the encounters that he has with people. He comes to the woman caught in adultery and he doesn't get down and say, yep, if you get your act together, then you can follow me. He gets down at her level and he says, I'm not gonna condemn you. I'm gonna bear the failings of the weak. He does this over and over and over again. And the ultimate place where we see this is him hanging on the cross, isn't it? As he's hanging there on the cross, a crown of thorns was placed on his head, which shows us this, that though he is the king of glory, he's come to bear the failings of the weak. And he takes our sins on him as he hangs there. Our reproaches against God, he embodies on himself. He goes to hell on the cross facing the wrath of God so that we could be welcomed into his house. He's bearing the failings of the weak. And then he resurrects from the grave and he doesn't stop. Remember his disciples who abandoned him on Thursday night? What did Jesus do after he resurrected? He pursued them in love. Remember Thomas? He's like, I'm not gonna believe unless I could stick my finger in his hands and his side. And Jesus is like, okay, do it. <laughs> he shows up. Because what Jesus was doing for Thomas is he was bearing with the failings of his weakness. And then remember Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus pursued Peter. And where Peter, the location where Peter denied Jesus was standing by a coal fire. And so Jesus shows up to Peter while Peter went back to fishing and he starts a little coal fire and he calls Peter over to it. And three times he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And what Jesus was showing him is in the same degree that you continue to fail against me, I will continue to bear your weaknesses. And that's such, like Peter is such an encouragement to me, isn't he to you? Because he's a mess and I'm a mess. And it's, it's not like he needs forgiveness once, he needs it a bunch. And what we see in Jesus is that Jesus continues to give us forgiveness a bunch. He continues to do this. Now think about how Jesus has for you accommodated your weaknesses. How has Jesus borne you in your failings? How many times had he had every right to smite you from heaven for the things that you're keeping secret, the secret sins of your heart. Oh, he's had so many opportunities, but instead, what does he do? He's patient with us. He's kind and gentle to us. He bears our failings. Think about all the things that you've been wrong. So those of you who've been Christians for a long time, you know that you didn't figure it all out in the beginning. Think about all the things in your Christian walk that you've been wrong in. And what was God with you? Was he impatient? No. He picked you up and carried you along. Even though you were wrong, he knew it. He just carried you along. And if God is doing this for us, ought we to be doing it for each other? That's the call. Now, you might be somebody who say, you know, I believe that Jesus was historical. I believe that he really did die for the sins of the world. It's a fact. But I'm here to tell you today, that you can believe in 
this, that Jesus is historical. You can believe that his work is factual, but you will never live in harmony until his work becomes personal, until it sinks deep into your heart. Because when you realize that you should have been rejected by Jesus, but he chose you anyways, it melts you to look at the people that you've been rejecting and you say, you know what? Jesus loved me, so I'm gonna go love them. So church, let's pray for this kind of harmony together. And let's, let's give God our glory, the glory that's due his name because of how we're loving one another. Lord, we need your help. We cannot do this on our own. And I pray, I, th- I really think that some of us need to be reawakened or awakened for the first time to the reality of your love. God, sometimes it, we, we read about it, but it just seems like words on paper. We need your love to sink deep into our hearts. And I pray for the endurance and the encouragement to be able to honor you and, and, and love you in this way by loving one another. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who despises another in this room, that you would grant them forgiveness today and that you would help them to go out of the way to welcome those who are vastly different than themselves. And God, we ask that you also would just help us to stop being so selfish. Help us to stop fearing the uncomfortable, but to love you more so that we can love those whom you've loved and we can be the community that you've called us to be. In your name we pray, amen.